the next uh, pastor is uh, my friend, uh, Brent Williams. Brent is a church planter in Anchorage, Alaska. And as he got off the airplane yesterday, he said, I can't remember the last time I was in a weather condition that it was 90 degrees. And so uh, he was happy that he could wear his short sleeve shirt because he only has one. Um, but he's been a friend. He's, uh, he and I have uh, been, uh, we're a year apart in planting churches. And we, uh, this is, my wife calls him my Alaskan wife because I call him and, uh, and, and we cry on each other's shoulders and keep us from doing crazy things. But Brent is a man of God who loves the gospel, and I want you to listen to him as he preaches God's word. Awesome, awesome. Well, it is good to be with you. Uh, my name is Brent Williams, and uh, I uh, pastor a church in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, I love, love Doug and so much and so proud of him, and uh, obviously you guys love him, or he was the only guy that wasn't in the business meeting that uh, wouldn't you elected a pastor's conference president, uh, but I know you love him, love the work that he's doing uh, in this state in order to reach people uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would it be okay if I just pray a little bit? Um, here, here's the deal. Remember when you were in high school, well, not high school, grade school, and uh, they were picking teams for uh, kickball, and you were the last kid picked? Um, because you weren't very good. That's kind of how I feel today, uh, because every one of these other guys are heavyweights. Uh, they've been preaching, uh, maybe maybe preaching longer than I've been a Christian, and uh, so I, I feel like that I'm the only guy on the stage that uh, is unworthy uh, to be able to deliver to you. Some of you men out there have been preaching so long, and, and, and you should be up here instead of me. Uh, you, you've been pastoring, and you've been shepherding people, uh, and you've never been recognized. You've never had an opportunity to preach to other pastors, and so uh, I, I just know that I'm going to need Christ, or, or I'm going to fall flat on my face, and, uh, and maybe that's what he wants. So let's just pray and see what God wants. Jesus, uh, today this is about you. Uh, these pastors and these uh, ministry leaders and these, uh, these people in this room, God, they don't need another sermon. God, they don't need some, something that makes me sound good. God, they need you. And so I'm asking God right now that you would, that you would calm my nerves. Um, God, that you would allow me to decrease so that you would increase. Uh, God, today let me be weak so that you can be strong. God, God I pray that, that the words that I share from, from, from my heart are are, are taking in a spirit of, of love, of, of grace, that, that, that it would be a word of warning, but that most of all, Father, at the end of this time, that you, Jesus, would be glorified. That people would leave this place and they would not remember Brent, but they would know you and love you and worship you. So God, do that in our hearts today. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, pastors, have you, have you ever said something on a Sunday morning that you ever regretted? Oh, I thought it was just me. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, uh, I'm trying to explain to my congregation that are, I, I pastor a church of, of about 300 that are, that are all under the age of 30. All right, so I've I got young, young congregation. So I was trying to explain to them how boring of a world that we live in. And so I was giving them examples of, of things that we have to do in order to entertain ourselves because life is boring. And so I just started making a crack against, against running marathons. 
And I began to explain that, can you imagine what it's like to go back into time and explain to our great, 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 great grandfather that we're running for fun? Like, like they wouldn't even understand that, right? Or, 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 that, or that we have to pay to run a marathon. And so I was explaining this to my church, and you would have thought by the amount of emails and texts I got that week, that I actually denied the Trinity. I mean, I literally made people mad. And now, why, why did I do that? Well, we, the problem was is that, that we are passionate about the things that we love, right? We're passionate about love. I mean, if I started, if, I started, if you're a, a Pac-12 fan, and I started making cracks about how the Pac-12 only plays women's volleyball, I mean, you would get pretty mad, right? Because we're, we're passionate about those things that we love. I've got this t-shirt that um, has a motorcycle on it. And I think it's a, see y'all are going to get mad at me now. But I think it's like a, uh, I think it's an Indian. And so some guy came up to me and said, oh, I like your shirt. And I said, yeah, it's a motorcycle. And he began to argue with me because he was passionate about the exact type of motorcycle on the shirt that I bought at Walmart. And, and, and that's what happens to us is that we're, we're just, we're passionate about the things that we love. So, so here's the sermon in one sentence. When the light of Jesus Christ invades the darkness of our heart, we will shine that light in every sphere of our life. So, so let me just show you uh, where I got that so you don't think that I'm making it up. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 Beginning at verse 13, Jesus is preaching the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. And he stands on, the, on, that, on that mount and he begins to, to, to tell the people what it means to be a part of his kingdom. But really, Jesus is drawing a line in the stand and he's saying, guys, here's the deal. If you're going to be a part of my kingdom, this is what you look like. And here's what Jesus says, beginning at verse 14. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and they may give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So let me say it again. When the light of Jesus Christ invades the darkness of our heart, we will shine that light in every sphere of our life. So what what we see very clearly is that Jesus is not saying this is something that we might be. No, no, the, the mood of the verb is, is, this, is this is actually who you are. So, so Jesus is not saying, hey guys, here's the deal. Uh, one day, if everything works out the way that it should, and it's very convenient for you, then you can be the light of the world. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is clearly saying, this is who you are. This is, this is not something I want you to pursue. No, no, this is who you are. You are the light of the world. Which brings us to the first point, and maybe the only point of the sermon. You and I do not get to determine our own definition of what it means to be a Christian. So, so, so what I mean by that is that, that there are not two or three different types of Christians. 
that, that none of us in this room get to determine that, that this is what a Christian is, and, and this is what a Christian is, and this is what a Christian is, and, and this is what a Christian is. The Bible does not give us access to be able to say that there are some people who are going to be radical Christians, there's some people who are going to be on fire for Christ, and there's going to be some people who are just simply normal. See, see, the Bible does not have a concept of two or three different types of believers. Instead, the Bible only has one example. The Bible only has one way for you and I to be followers of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying is that, look, if you belong to my kingdom, if you're one of mine, you are going, you're light. You are the light of the world. Which means that if his light is not shining, and there are no good works in your life, it means that all you have is a concept about God instead of an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. And you've got to know that there is a huge difference between having facts and information. There's a big difference between knowing uh, some things about God and then actually having a relationship with Him. There's a difference between being able to answer all the questions and then actually knowing Him. One of my guys at church explained it this way. He's uh, trying to finish up his degree. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, Brent, I, um, I just passed my physical science test. He, he said, I knew all of the answers. I had memorized all the theories. But I am no more a physical scientist today than I was yesterday. I'm just able to pass the test. See, you and I, Simply having an understanding about God. You and I simply having knowledge about God doesn't necessarily mean that we're one of His. Instead, the test of our salvation, instead the the true nature of a heart that has been transformed by Jesus, this, this light of Christ invading the darkness of our own heart is when the concepts about God, when the facts and the knowledge and the answers about God actually become a reality in our heart. So, so, so it's when all the information, all the facts about God actually become a reality in our life. And so I think we can understand it this way. It's when the, it's when the truth of God in my mind collide with the emotions of my heart that extends to my hand as I shine His light in the darkness of our cities. So I need you to hear what I'm about to say. And I need, because I don't, I don't want you to be confused, and I don't, I don't want you to, to, to write Doug an email this week and say, I can't believe you brought the heretic to the pastor's conference. So, so I'm not saying that in order to be a Christian, it requires for you to be, for, for good works to be the, the, the measure, or let me say, I'm not saying that salvation is not by grace and grace alone. Okay, wave the white hanky something, right? Right? I, I'm, I'm saying that, that, that salvation is only by grace. So, so the only reason that you're saved is because God wanted you saved. So, so God didn't see something in you and go, man, Brent, you are awesome. Holy Spirit, 
Jesus, get down there and save that boy. We need that guy on our team. He's bringing something to the table. No, 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 no. God saves you not because we deserve it. God, God saves us because he's great. God saves us because he's gracious. God saves us because he is merciful. Salvation is only by grace. But when God sees the faith in our heart, when God sees you and I believing in who Jesus is, the, the facts and the information and the knowledge, when God sees that belief, he gives us the gift of grace by giving us a new heart. When God sees our faith, he gives us a new heart that now produces a new desire. He gives us a new heart that now uh, produces a desire to have new responses and new emotions and new, uh, new actions and new directives. That God gives us a gift of grace, transforms our heart, which produces men and women who have a longing and a desire to live out our identification as light in a dark and evil world. And so what happens then is that if all we have is a concept about God, if all we have is information and facts, it's never going to change our heart. The simple concepts and facts about God is not actually going to, to do anything but, but, but add to what we already believe and add to what we already do. And so if all you have is a concept about God, you're not actually believing God, you're believing what will align with what you already believe and what you're already doing. It doesn't change anything. But when the reality of God's glory displayed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when that is experienced, I'm, listen, it changes everything. Because Jesus is no longer added to any part of our life. Jesus becomes our life. Jesus is not added, added to our understanding of ethics. Jesus is a new ethic. He's not added to our understanding of marriage. He becomes the foundation of marriage. He's not added to our ministry. No, no, Jesus builds his church. You see, Jesus is not added to any part of our life because he becomes our life. That as we experience the light of Christ, when you and I are made the light of Christ, then we begin to transmit, we begin to reflect that light in every sphere of our life. And I want this for you. I, I want this for, the, for me. I, I want your churches to, to experience, I'm, I'm so burdened over the men and the women that are in our churches who show up every Sunday and every Sunday evening and every Awanas on Tuesday and prayer meeting on Wednesday. They keep showing up to our churches and all they have is a concept about God. They keep showing up to our churches and they keep doing the church thing. They keep doing the Christian thing. They keep doing the moral thing. Yet their heart has never been changed by the gospel. And we need to be reminded that just because people come to church and just because people have information, just because people have facts about God, 
Man, that person that is just doing the church thing is as lost as the guy who is snorting crack and then selling dime bags to kids at the bus stop. And I know you're thinking, man, Brent, man, that deacon's a good guy. Man, that churchman who keeps coming to church and and he keeps um, doing the church things, he's, he's a good guy. I know you don't need reminded of this, but maybe we do. Hell is going to be full of good people. Because the separation of heaven and hell is not good and bad. People who go to heaven are bad people who've been rescued by Jesus. And I know you're thinking, all right, Brent, this is a passage conference. You preached on salt and light, or you're preaching on light. Aren't you going to tell us, like give us a method of, of how to be light in the world? See, 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 that's what I'm doing. The problem is not in our mechanics. The problem is not in our strategies. The problem of the light, not being ex- the darkness, not being exposed to the light of Jesus Christ is not because you and I don't have the right evangelism techniques. No, no, the problem is that the church of America is full of lost people. People whose hearts have never been transformed by Jesus. That instead of a, a relationship with Christ, they can pass the test. Instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ, they have tons of information. They have tons of facts. That God's glory has never invaded. God's glory has never rearranged. God's glory has never swallowed their very existence. And so I have to ask you, before you can ask your church, it's a question I've asked myself so many times the last several weeks as I've been preparing to preach this to you. Are you saved? Are you saved? Has your heart been changed by the gospel? Or can you simply pass the test? Because if you're saved, man, I'm not that smart, but it seems that Jesus says that if I'm saved, my light is not hidden. That, that if I'm saved. His glory has invaded. It has rearranged. It has swallowed my every existence. That that if I'm saved, nothing is off limits. That that if I'm saved, everything changes. I told you that I pastor a bunch of kids under 30 years old. I preached on the Song of Solomon last summer, and now we got like 20 babies in the nursery. I'm not even pastorally speaking. I, seriously, we have like 20 babies. And here's, here's what I've learned. And maybe you'll remember this as well. Remember what life was like before you had a kid? You could stay up as long as you wanted, remember? Because 2 a.m. feeding times didn't exist. Remember when your buddies used to call you and go, Hey man, we're going to go hit up the, the, gun, the, the, the range. You want to go with us? Yeah, what time is it? It's 11 o'clock. Yeah, sounds good. Like, like, like remember what happens when, when, when you want to just kind of spur the moment, go out to eat? 
Remember, you just said, hey, sweetie, you want to you, you go, to, go to Dairy Queen and grab a, grab a burger? He's like, yeah, let's go. Remember what happened once you got a baby? It takes like an hour and a half just to pack the diaper bag. Right? Y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all, y'all with me? Like, like you, like, like it is a, you need an Excel spreadsheet just to get to church on Sunday morning. Like, like the kid changes everything. Like, like once you have a kid, nothing is the same. Nothing. Once Jesus Christ invades the darkness of this heart, everything's changed. That if you're saved, your bank statement shows your love of Christ more than your love for trinkets that will one day wind up in a dump. That if you're saved, your child's understanding of the gospel is greater than their athletic achievement on a soccer field. Why? Because his glory has rearranged, his glory has invaded, his glory has swallowed our very existence. That if you're saved, the pursuit of your life is not growing a church. It's not getting recognized for the most baptisms. No, the pursuit of your life is the glory of God. That if you're saved, you have a greater passion for his word than you do John Piper's words. That if you're saved, you have a greater passion for God's word than Matt Chandler's podcast. That if you're saved, you have a greater passion for God's word than you do some trilogy called Lord of the Rings. I mean, seriously, some of our pastors, you can preach this however you want to your church, but some of our pastors, man, we know more about the kings in Lord of the Rings than we do the kings of the Bible. Yet we want, yet we believe that God has rearranged and invaded our life? No, no, no. If you're saved, you're worried more about the lost person next door than keeping your deacon happy so that he won't fire you. That if you're saved, you're never too busy, you're never too tired. There's never a church ministry that is going to get in the way of you being a person of compassion to the one that is hurting and to the one that is bruised. Why? Because his glory has invaded, it has rearranged, it has swallowed our very existence. That if you're saved, you're not going to be a pastor that makes excuses for why your church didn't baptize anyone last year. And look, maybe your church is cray-cray, all right? Yeah, that didn't, that didn't quote. Sorry, Doug. Cray-cray is a word we use all the time back in. What? Cray-cray? Y'all don't know what that word is? Crazy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I just told my age. See, your, your church may be crazy, and, and you really may have like, like such dysfunction in your church that, that if you said we're going to share the gospel, uh, you know, everybody would just be like, oh, it may be that way. But look, you have 12 months out of the year to learn your neighbor's name. So there should be no excuse why any of our churches aren't baptizing anyone if they've got a pastor. Because you should have relationship with lost people and you should be telling people about Jesus Christ. Why? Because his glory has invaded. His glory has rearranged. His glory has swallowed our very existence. That, 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 that when you're saved, prayer's not an afterthought to church growth. 
No, no, prayer is the power of God. That if you're saved, there's more to show for your life than a mortgage and a home and a 401k and kids who excel in life and a vacation and a hobby because his glory has rearranged. His glory has swallowed. His glory has invaded our life. And I know, I know there are going to be people, maybe this is where you're at today, and you're going to say, Brent, you can't preach like this. Because you're turning Christianity to a bunch of rules and, and, and you're turning it into a bunch of regulations. You can't preach this way. You're taking, you're, taking the gospel, you're taking grace out of the gospel and you're just giving everyone law. You're telling people that if they're not generous, if they're not loving, if they're not sacrificial, if they're not gentle, if they're not compassionate, you're telling them that they're not a Christian. You're listening. Because that's exactly what I'm saying. I am saying that a person who has been saved is a person who is shining their light, in, shining the light of Christ in every sphere of their life. Just like a person who is married is not going to have a girlfriend. I mean, how many of you would like be counseling someone and, and the couple goes, uh, yeah, um, I, I got a girlfriend, and I, but I still love my wife. And you're like, really? You got a girlfriend and you love your wife? Yeah, because, you know, 20 years ago, I was in front of that preacher guy, and I said all those vows. And so since I said all those vows, then, you know, that kind of is the proof that I love my wife, even though I got a girlfriend. Like, is that going to roll very well at your church? No. Or, or what, what would happen if I, if I stood up here and, and I said, uh, here's the deal. Um, I think I can be a pastor and enjoy pornography. Because that's just the way the Holy Spirit's leading me in the moment. I hope that you would be from like Lord of the Rings, Aragon, and you'd be like rushing the stage with a sword, ready to take me out. So what's the difference? Why is it not okay for me to be a pastor and be okay with pornography? But it not be okay that you're a pastor and that I'm a pastor, yet we can't remember the last time that we led someone to the Lord. Where's the disconnect in our heart? Where's the disconnect? Because Jesus says that no one who is the light. Jesus says no one is going to hide that light. And so this has nothing to do with how we become a Christian. It has everything to do with the glory of God invading and rearranging and swallowing our very existence after he saves us. So, so God saved me because I was a loser on my way to hell. That God reached down and he transferred me from the wrong kingdom and he placed me in the right kingdom solely because of his grace. Not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, but because he is great and because he is gracious and because he is merciful. And because he moved me from the wrong kingdom into the right kingdom, I have a new king. And my life is now set on a new direction. And my desire is to shine his light and penetrate the darkness. In every sphere of my life. 
And so the only people who get mad at this are people who don't love Jesus. Because if you're saved, his light is shining. The totality of his holiness is transcending and transforming every sphere of your existence. Are we saved? We will never, we'll never shine the light in the darkness of our cities, the darkness of our communities. Until the light has actually evaded, invaded the darkness of our own heart. I can stand confidently today and tell you that God is near the people in your city. That God is near the people in your community. You know why I know that? Because you live there. Right here in this room is the light to reach our cities with the gospel. Like I know that God is near your neighbor because he put you on that block. I know that God is near the person at your workplace. Because God gave you that cubicle. That if the church of Jesus Christ, if it was filled with men and women and students and children who have been made light by the light, L-I, capital L-I-G-H-T, then the light of our good works would shine in the darkest corners of our city. What is wrong with us that we can't say you need good works? Like, do you ever get afraid that on Sunday when you're preaching... That people are going to go, oh, he's just too religious, talking about how much good stuff we've got to do. Or we supposed to do bad stuff? <laughs> yeah, Jesus saved me, but now I'm dancing on coffee tables with a lampshade on my head, throwing back tequila sunrises. What? No. I mean, if, if we're saved, if, if we've been made light by the light, then we need to shine that light. I think it's a bunch of pansy people who won't tell people that they need good works. Jesus said it, so that your good works, they'll see it and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. You've been made light. And since you are that light, a light will never be hidden. Instead, it will give light to everyone else. So so either the problem is that we've never been made light, And we only have a concept about God. Or we are purposefully rebelling against the creator and the sustainer and the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's really the only way to look at it. That that either we are not Christians or we are Christians in great sinful rebellion. Because the only characteristic of light is that it gives light. That's its only value. That light has no other function. That light's essential quality is its only quality. And that if it ceases to be light, it ceases to have value. So your life as a Christian 
Forget the fact that you're a pastor for just a second. Your life as a Christian has only one purpose and only one purpose, and that is to make known the glory of God. The value of your life is displaying the power of God through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we are light of the world because of our relationship to the one who is the light of the world. That we have received this light. That we have been made this light. And we now are transmitting, we are reflecting that light in every sphere of our existence. Jesus' words, they have to mean something. Verse 14 has to mean something. That, that either we are someone that just has information or we're someone in great rebellion against God. Either way, it's not where we want to be. Well, I'll finish it up here. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, Satan's strategy is to gently nudge us in the wrong direction. He knows that if we truly saw where we were headed, we would immediately turn away. And so he just softly leads us in the wrong direction, knowing that the momentum is a difficult thing to change. I'd like to add one more thing to C.S. Lewis' quote. And that is the beauty of the gospel is that there is one thing, one thing that will move us in the right direction. And that is grace. See, the beauty of everything I just said is that you could walk in this door and sit your butt in that seat and have information and knowledge about God. But in one act of grace, God can forgive you. And you can leave this room as light shining in the darkest corners of our society. So if you walk out of here feeling guilt and condemned, it's your fault. Because God's grace is available right now. That no matter how far, no matter where you've been, no matter what your life in the last 10 years passing your church looks like, The beauty of the gospel is that grace is not exhausted. It's not exhausted. It's not exhausted. And so may we be men and women and students and children who understand the beauty of God's grace captive and captured by something we've never earned and something we've never deserved. And may it, may it propel us and motivate us, not out of begrudging submission, but out of a heart of love to shine the light of Christ in the darkness of our city. I love you guys, and I want you to reach your city for Christ. Father, today, thank you for what you've done uh, through each sermon. Thank you, God, that you bring uh, five different men together, all with different 
passions, all with different desires, all with different ways to communicate. Yet, God, you bring each one of us to hear exactly what we need to hear. And so I pray today that what I said from your word, um, if there was anything, God, I said that wasn't of you, would you let them forget it and just be reminded of what is true in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. And may each of us, Father, today know of your grace, and may we be lights shining in the darkness of our cities. In your name I pray, amen.